You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me today all the way from that far-off land of Hong Kong is Shane Cole. Yes, I have returned for the delight of all my fans. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm a fan. We're glad to have you. Uh, a lot's been going on, and and it's getting crazier and crazier. And I know that's a heck of an intro, but they're, they're the whole upset over this iPhone 5C, this lowly iPhone 5C that was left behind by the alleged perpetrators of the San Bernardino shooting has led to, to as we talked about in the past couple of episodes, this, this conflict between federal government, federal law enforcement, and Apple over what kind of access they should be able to compel Apple to give them. Yes, that has happened. That has happened. So the the new developments, because every time I turn around, there are new developments in this thing, is is that there is now a California bill that wants to mandate, that proposes that Apple be forced to give access, that they, they be forced to provide backdoors or not be able to sell phones. Well, do I do I have that right? Tell, so tell me how I've got it wrong. The the bill right was introduced in January, so it's not actually new. It's just now sort of coming to light in the aftermath of this whole brouhaha. But it's not that they won't be able to sell phones; they'll just be financially disincentivized for doing so. Right? The fine is like twenty five hundred dollars per phone sold or something. And it's not just Apple; it's any company. It's written very broadly. Any company that either manufactures phones or creates operating systems for the phones must be able to decrypt and unlock the phone, right? And there's a similar bill in New York, almost exactly the same bill, actually, in New York, and another similar one that should be introduced in the U.S. Senate by uh, the noted scholar and California Senator Dianne Feinstein. My own Senator, Richard Burr, I think, is uh, is joining her on that. So it's it's a bipartisan effort. Uh, well, they're all bipartisan efforts. Every decision to remove your civil liberties is a bipartisan effort. Marvelous. Feinstein's quote is, is, it's just that she has a basic fundamental belief that it's very important that no American company should be above the law. It's really that she has a basic fundamental belief that privacy doesn't matter at all. I mean, let's be real here. It, let's be real for a moment. Yeah, I mean, let, let's, or as the kids are saying these days, let's be serial, right? The whole, the whole legislative approach to this thus far, I'm... By the way, I am absolutely confident that none of these bills will make it out of committee or be passed in their current form into law. I don't think that will ever, 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 ever happen. But the the crux of this is that this is exact. All right, let me back up for a second. This is exactly the same thing that the world went through, not the world, really, just America, in the late 80s and early 90s, right? First with, P, first with PGP and then with RSA. The NSA tried for essentially an entire decade to backdoor encryption in any way they could. Uh, the Clipper chip, I think everyone who's over the age of 15 can remember the Clipper chip that ultimately failed, right? Uh, which would have been, for those of you who aren't over 15, why are you listening to this podcast, number one? And number two, it was a, uh, like a, hard, a, a piece of hardware that you'd throw into phones or Anything that came, well, not phones back then, but it was going to be in televisions and other stuff yeah, too. Anything that was encrypted or in any way scrambled, right? And it would be a hardware backdoor, essentially, for the NSA. And that got squashed. And then there are export controls on crypto. To this day, 
when you install a copy of uh, Office, if you read the EULA, there's a clause in there about exporting encryption, right? And that started because Lotus, I think it was Lotus, right? Did mm. encrypted uh, notes. It was a part of uh, notes and Domino. Wasn't yeah, it? I think so. Yeah. And they had to, they had to do two levels of encryption. I can't remember exactly what the difference was, but it was like 256 bit encryption in the U S and 48 bit encryption outside the U S because that's what the NSA had the capability to break at that point. Right. So I went through this whole thing and it didn't settle down until 2000 was the last, the, during the Bush administration, it was, this, this is it. We're done with this, right? We're not going to have this fight anymore. And now here we are 15 years later, 16 years later, and we're having the same fight all over again. I mean, it's different circumstances and it's a different thing and for different reasons, but it's exactly the same fight that we've been through before. Right. It's boggles my mind. The, it, it, well, never, never be boggled by the idea that government, when they don't get their way, will, will not come back and go again and try again. Right. They're, they're going to be persistent. And if they want their way, they'll keep coming back until they get it. Yeah. If you're, if that sounded interesting, by the way, if you're a reader, uh, there's a really great book called crypto, uh, which is where, which covers that entire thing. Um, Right. And if you're looking for more information online, if you uh, search on the term crypto wars, you will find a plethora of, of information about this. I think one of the most interesting things that I found about this back when we were living it was that the way that they exported PGP was not by sending a, a, a disk with the code on it. It was by printing on paper a book yeah. of the code because you, you couldn't ban the book. The book was a printed work. This was First Amendment. You had a right to publish. And so by printing the book and then it being typed in elsewhere, it was it was safe to export. Well, now there's T-shirts with PGP on it. Well, we had T-shirts with the uh, the DVD CSS, oh, yeah. right, for uh, for decrypting DVDs. There's a great story in crypto about how Phil Zimmerman, uh, who's the guy who invented PGP. Um, and is also behind, uh, what is it, Whisper or Secret or one of the other crypto chats chat um, apps that's available. Silent something. Uh, Silent, Silent Circle. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's a great anecdote in crypto about how Zimmerman, when he invented PGP, he was literally like on the run from the government. And so he would go around to pay phones and dial into BBSs and upload as much as he could until he uh, somehow figured out that the government had found him doing this upload. And then he'd move on to the next pay phone. Like this is, it's insanity. Well, and I want to bring up pay phones because when, when DiFi says that, uh, when Diane Feinstein says that no company should be above the law, well, for years, pay phones were, were, a sort of black hole, right? If you weren't already tapping a payphone, you just couldn't get whatever evidence you thought there was to get. Mm-hmm. It simply wasn't available. So for her to think that no company should be above the law, well, we, we have rules and laws and, and an understanding about what to do in cases where the evidence simply isn't there. And this is one of those cases is that the American company has designed a phone that doesn't allow you to get at data because it protects the user. Well, there you go. You just don't have that evidence. Well, the first, my first question is, and I, th- I thought about this while watching the hearing the other day, is how did they solve these cases before smartphones? Right? 
it, it, no, by the, doing the, actual police the work. The implication is that <laughs> is that before smartphones, these cases were unsolvable, and then suddenly smartphones came along, and the cases were solvable, and now we're encrypting the smartphones, and the cases are no longer solvable. It's insane. I was telling Neil this morning that if if we're really saying that the the United States cannot be safe with encryption we can't break, then we also need to ban paper because the terrorists could just start writing each other letters using one-time pads, you know? Or, you know, heaven's sakes, George Washington spies used codes. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin made secret codes. In World War II, we had codes and code breakers. This yeah. is... This is not new. Like if you if you don't know what a one time pad is, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It's a it's a it, a method of doing encryption that uses a pad of various uh, codes and so, using a, a passphrase that only the two people know. You can encrypt something that can't theoretically, if it's used properly, cannot be decrypted by anyone else. So 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 explain just lay out the interaction. If you and I were having a conversation and we wanted to be kept private. How does that work? You and I meet and and share a key, a passphrase between ourselves mm-hmm. so that we have this, this pre-shared understanding and we want to do that in some way that you and I trust is secure. Right. And then and then what happens? Uh, so what you do is you have, say, your your conversation is a letter, right? It's, dear Victor, I would like to smuggle some cocaine into Miami. Um, you take a, a one-time pad is like a, a random array of digits, right? It's a key. Um, and you pair the key with the message, right? So you what you end up with is a completely scrambled... Uh, uh, I guess another a completely scrambled message is the best way to say it. And the person uh, uh, who has a letter that's completely garbled. Yeah, exactly. And the person who has the matching part piece of the one time pad can decode it. But then once you destroy those two pieces of paper, the message is no longer ever decipherable. Okay. So why isn't this commonly used? Why doesn't everyone do this? Well, I mean, because it requires writing on paper, number one. Um, it's difficult okay. to sync the pads, you know. Um, I mean, this used to be so prevalent that it's what the NSA used to communicate back in the day. You know, th- this was the very first form of, like, r- real, real secure world transmission secure of... cryptography, yeah. But one, the pads get lost. You know, it's, it's difficult to keep them in sync. So it's really, it's not very practical on a large scale, but it works really well. I'm not suggesting that everyone go out and start using one-time pads um, or the digital equivalent of a one-time pad. But I am saying that the whole fight over encryption is stupid because there are a zillion ways around any kind of legislative action the U.S. could possibly take. And so because there are a zillion ways around it, they shouldn't even try? Absolutely not. All you do in that scenario is... we. So this is exactly the argument used by uh, anti-gun control people. All you do by weakening or by uh, making guns illegal or harder to get is make them harder to get for law-abiding citizens, right? You're not going to change the availability of guns to criminals who are already buying their guns on the black market. And it's the same idea with this. If the U.S. government banned all civilian encryption tomorrow, 
it would not change anything because uh, the what's often quoted now as like the the favored communicate encrypted communications app of terrorists telegram is made in russia which is unfortunately for the u.s not going to honor u.s legal proceedings so really i know it's shocking to me too i'm surprised i know i was expecting them to just hand edward Snowden right back over but you, th- you know turns out there's no Santa clause no snowden clause oh god so yeah so Mikey wrote a story, and, and this dovetails, right? We were, so Snowden said that he puts his phone in the fridge. Yeah. And he does that because he thinks the, the, the fridge is kind of like a Faraday cage, and it blocks the radio waves, right? Radio doesn't transmit well through metal. I don't know if it's, if it's just that. I think it's also to block the sound, but yeah, that's the general idea. Okay, it also blocks the sound, which is probably a good thing if you're having conversations that you don't want overheard. But Eddie Q, who's the, the SVP of Internet Software and Services, said that if, if the government's successful in, in making Apple write uh, FBI OS for, for the government, that they can remotely turn on the microphone and camera without the user's knowledge. Mm-hmm. And you know his, his quote is, when they get us to create a new system to do new things, where will it stop? But this isn't the first time that we've ever seen people remotely turn on cameras or microphones, is it? Um, what do you mean, the first well, time? Well, I mean, I remember an article a few years ago that we published about a school system remotely ah, turning yes. on the camera on their students' MacBooks. Do you remember yes. that one? Yes, I do. So I guess the important distinction is that he's not going out and saying that they could do this right now, right? It's, the, it's that the precedent of allowing the law to be used in this broad fashion or to be applied in this broad fashion would then let the government say, okay, now to... Uh, get this other investigation, you have to do these other things, right? Which could include stuff like, we need you to remotely activate microphones to catch whoever the next Osama bin Laden is. That's sort of the idea. Yeah. You know, and I've known people who have have documented buying an Android phone and securing the Android phone. And one of the things they do is they take out the microphone and they take out the camera. Yeah. If you go into any... um, it's, it happens a lot in corporate environments. I haven't actually personally experienced this in a government environment because most of them just won't let you take a phone in at all. You throw it in a cabinet outside the door. But in corporate environments, you can bring a phone in, but if it's a camera phone, the camera is physically removed. Uh, like the IT department will, if they're issuing iPhones, the IT department will get it first and take a screwdriver to the camera, hand it back to you. I haven't seen that, but I did see a few years ago there was a company that was selling iPhones that had been disassembled and the camera removed. Yeah. That's for companies who actually care about that. <laughs> corporate security, corporate <laughs> espionage, <laughs> things like that. But uh, you're right. When I went into a U.S. embassy uh, a few years back, they, they made me leave my phone outside. Oh, yeah. They all do that. I have absolutely no idea why now. But I go to the consulate here. Um, if we, I live overseas, so if I have to get something notarized by a U.S. notary, I go to the consulate. Uh, which happens, I don't know, every couple of months. And yeah, we leave our, we had to leave our phone outside. Uh, all electronics, actually. I had to leave my phone, my headphones. If I brought my iPad, I have to leave that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a fellow out there um, who, I, let's see, his name's Jacob Applebaum. He's uh, IO error. And he, if you look at him up, he, he interacted with Snowden. He interacted with uh, WikiLeaks. And you know he's, he's documented taking a Motorola G or a Motorola E and removing the camera, removing the microphone, and removing the GPS. And when you want to use the phone, you plug in headphones that have the mic on the line. Yeah. 
And in that way, you can't be listened in on your remote location can't be grabbed. Um, you know, yes, it's still a phone. And yes, they could get you by triangulation for finding your location. But, you know, just turn it off, remove the battery. Right. So there are people who are concerned about this sort of spying and this sort of um, tracking. And for Apple to be forced to do it, especially when Apple sells as many phones as they do, would be very, very bad. I mean, it would be catastrophic for business. And my favorite part about this is that a similar law was proposed last year in China. Um, it was new. It was in the guise of, this is going to sound familiar, in the guise of an anti-terrorism bill mm. was a provision that would force any companies selling electronics in China, which is, I mean, everything from an iPhone to a router. Uh, right, Cisco a, networking gear or whatever. A digital picture frame, you know. Uh, they would be forced to hand over the encryption keys to the Chinese government. <laughs> and President Obama was like, no, this is dumb. Don't do this. It will seriously harm your standing on the world stage. And here we are one year later. Yeah, well, you know, you remember a couple of years ago when Congress was was telling us all about how terrible Huawei and ZTE were. That uh, we ZTE trust just anything. got banned again. Yeah, did they? This week, yeah. Really? Yeah. What for? The same thing. The same thing. Yeah. So the, the, the contention was that we couldn't trust equipment from Huawei and ZTE because the Chinese government would be using it to spy on us and our network communications and, and uh, you know, I guess doing corporate espionage. And here we are with our own government trying to force Apple to, to do the same thing that we're accusing Huawei and ZTE of. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that is not even in the vicinity of incorrect, right? You, you know, H3C, the Huawei 3Com merger. Go on. Uh, so anyway, this ha- this happened, right? Um, it was a joint venture between 3Com and Huawei to make networking equipment. And eventually, 3Com totally failed because Huawei just stole all of the IP. Like, blatantly stole all of the IP. And there's mm. essentially nothing 3Com would do about it. Because Huawei is a major corporation. I mean, I'm sure most people listening to this haven't ever heard of them, but Huawei is a major corporation. I mean, in China, For- it's on the level of you know, Google. Right. And for the people who don't know, if you have a Nexus 6P, your Nexus 6P was made by Huawei. Yeah. Huawei so, makes, they actually, I'm not going to lie, their hardware is pretty good. The, the Nexus 6P is a nice phone. Yeah. And they introduced the, uh, they introduced the Mate 8 in January at CES, and that's a nice, nice phone. Yeah. And the Huawei watch is one of the better made Android Wear watches out there. Agreed. It doesn't have the flat tire of the Moto. It's got a reasonably low profile to the wrist compared to some of the others. It's it's well made. Yeah, they make they, really they, good stuff. They do nice work. So here on the Apple Insider podcast, that's our Huawei pitch. <laughs> but uh, so so Huawei sabotaged 3Com. Yes, the merger totally failed. Huawei tried to buy 3Com after the fact, and it didn't work out. But I mean, not the merger. The joint venture failed, and then Huawei tried to buy 3Com, and it failed. And it was, it was a whole. As Steve Jobs would have said, it was a bag of hurt for everyone involved. So, what what should we learn from that? I mean, what's what's the the takeaway? Well, I don't think there's any specific takeaway from that, other than you know the things everyone's afraid of other governments doing are the things that our government is now trying to do. Right. So our our elected representatives are giant hypocrites who don't have a clue as to what's going on and and what people actually want. Yeah, honestly, I think it's mostly the second one. 
I don't think that they're being hypocritical purposefully. I think they just legitimately don't understand the equivalence. But what do I know? Do you think that nothing was learned from the congressional hearings that we had uh, a week or two ago? I mean, I learned that Trey Gowdy's. I don't really okay. know. I don't really know what you learned. <laughs> well, I mean, I I kind of wish that the the hearing had been better attended because I was I was impressed to learn that there were some people in our Congress who actually understand computer science and that this is a very bad idea. Honestly, the greatest part of that entire hearing for me was Daryl Issa going at Comey. Yes. What was your favorite part of that? The, at the very end where he said, if you're not prepared to answer the questions or something like, if you're not prepared to answer the questions, what are you doing here? Nice. So for those, if you didn't watch, the, <laughs> if you didn't watch the hearing, Isa, um, he is one of the richest members of Congress and he made his money on the Viper car alarms, um, which was, that's him. Yeah. That's, that's his company. Wow. And, uh, so he, I don't actually know what his level of technical proficiency is, um, but he has some... Well, let's say that it's non-zero. Yeah, he has it's... some level of understanding, right? And so he was going at Comey about why can't you just copy NAND a uh, hundred times and attack each one ten times, right? And right. He, went, he went through this for his entire five minutes. And eventually Comey just said, I'm sorry, I'm not a tech person. I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's when Isa said, I, if you're not prepared to answer the questions, why are you even here? So it was just a, a total beatdown. Do you think Comey's proud of not being technical? Um, not necessarily. I think there's, there's a disconnect, right, between non-technical people and technical people. There are some non-technical people who understand that what technical people do is really difficult, right? And like, there's a they grok that it's a serious thing, but the vast majority of others just think it's magic. Yeah. And if it's all magic, then all magic is equal, and you should just be able to do it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, an ISIS argument is the same argument being that Snowden used when he said that the FBI was full of shit, and the same argument that the ACLU, ACLU used. Yeah. One of the, have you read any of the Amici briefs? Uh, yes. Which ones did you read? I browsed the two giant tech ones and uh, the EFFs, which was signed by, hold on, Ron Revest. And what resonated with you from those? What stuck with you? I think before reading the briefs, I didn't fully, I didn't fully comprehend the level of precedent that was possible here right because i'm not a lawyer obviously and there's a reason that that's true but i i i realized that you could use this to say all right you've unlocked this phone now unlock this other phone right right but from reading the briefs what i what really stuck out to me was you don't just need to be you can't just say that right you could say all right, now you must maintain, legislatively, you could then go say, all right, now you must maintain a current level of access, right? Which would mean that forever going forward. Right. You don't write just FBI OS once, which is what I'm calling it. Some people call it government OS, yeah. but you have to write it and its capabilities forever. Right. There was a, a really interesting analysis by a InfoSec researcher who has often done 
uh, forensic, I don't even know what it's actually called, forensic information retrieval, I guess. And he was talking about the process for doing that. And everything has to be documented and uh, reproducible in cases that are challenged by the defense and things like that. And at the end, he's like, and for all of these reasons, this is why the FBI's request is crap. Because what they're saying is, we want you to do this once. You don't ever have to tell us how you do it, et cetera, et cetera. But what he's saying is, if they did that, and then they use this data to go get someone, it would never stand up in court if they actually made it non-reproducible and non-testable. Hmm. Right. So the, the, from a legal standpoint, it can't be done at all, you know, if it's going to stand up in court. Right. One of the things that, that impressed me was LavaBit. You remember LavaBit? Yeah. So LavaBit was the encrypted email service that Edward Snowden used to use for his private email communications until it was shut down in 2013. Mm-hmm. And and they shut down because they were being forced to compromise their user data uh, by the FBI. And they said they would they would rather just shut down than give up. Right. And at the time, their founder, uh, Ladar Levinson, said, I would strongly recommend against anyone trusting their private data to a company with physical ties to the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. So they shut down three years ago. Well, two and a half years ago. And all of a sudden, they're back from the dead to file an Amici brief. Well, they're... I don't think that they ever shut the company, did they? I think he uh, just stopped doing email services. Because the, uh, the demand was that they, if I remember this correctly, the demand was that he hand over the keys. If, if you go to lavabit.com, mm-hmm. all you get is a, a letter dated May 20th, 2014, addressing the, the saga of being asked by the FBI to do all these things and what happened in their case. Mm, I see. There, there are no services. There's nothing there except for some donate links. You can donate via PayPal or Bitcoin, and that's it. Was the case still being litigated? Uh, that may be why the company still exists. I as don't the, as the liability shield for think him to that it the case. does. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so there have been other cases even before LavaBit where the FBI went into a data center and took the whole rack. If yeah. what they wanted was on one server owned by one person, even if the rack had ten different companies' hardware, oh, it doesn't it, matter. They yeah, just took it all. They just took the whole rack. Right, but. That's that's typical of law enforcement. Law enforcement has never really paid close attention to what the warrant actually asks for. You know, if if the warrant asks for a toothbrush, they're coming back with everything located in the vicinity of the bathroom. Yeah. Well, I was using, they don't care. I was using that. They just say, take it all. I was using that to segue into saying that uh, I forgot what I was going to segue into saying. Now that we had, oh, oh right it. there we go. <laughs> Which is why um, this whole thing we're talking about is why. I think I have no proof of this, obviously, but in my opinion and many other people's opinion is why Apple has designed the iPhone the way they've designed it since the iPhone 5S, right? There, there are other arguments to be made, but at the end of the day, I think it's because they're trying to put themselves in a position where they cannot respond to these requests. It, it would be technically impossible for it to happen. If this phone in question was an iPhone 5S, that would be it. It would be done. There would be no... Right, because uh, there, it's got a secure no, element inside. There's just no question. Yeah, there would be no court case. There's no question about it. And so everything that they've done up until this point has been to put themselves in a position where they can look 
with a straight face at somebody like the FBI and say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We, 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 there is we just are unable to do it. Yeah, exactly. We have locked ourselves out of our own device, which I think is a smart move. Uh, when you brought up uh, what Obama said about don't trust anyone with physical ties to the U.S., that's what came to my mind, right? Unless that person has gone out of their way to make it so that it's impossible. And as far as we know, there are no, unless the NSA has one, which I'm sure they do, there are no side channel attacks against the secure enclave. So yeah. it's safe. Knowing that, it's it's one of these things, right? We, we, we know that it's all designed to be secure, except that the FBI does have the iCloud backup data. Right. Which Apple so, holds, which is encrypted, but Apple holds the keys to that. So how do you securely back up your iPhone? Well, you can do it locally. I mean, the only way to do it and ensure that there's no way to get it is to do it locally. Uh, connected to iTunes, in the backup settings section, there is a, uh, a button that says encrypt securely or secure backup or something. Encrypted it's, backup. Uh, encrypt anyway, it's iPhone backup. That's the one. Encrypt uh, iPhone backup, and it says this will allow account passwords, health, and HomeKit data to be backed up. Yes. You, so you, that's data that would not otherwise be backed up unless you encrypt it. Exactly. Um, and that it gets backed up either via iCloud backup, because iCloud backups are encrypted, or to a local iTunes encrypted backup. But if you make a regular backup, uh, it's a regular backup is a lot more like a sync than it is a backup. Uh, but anyway, tick the box, it'll ask you to input a password, and from then on, your iPhone backups will be encrypted and only store locally. iCloud backups are nightly whenever you're charging and, and going on like that. Right. Device backups to iTunes are a lot more intentional because you know we've kind of gotten away over the past few years of actually connecting with USB to, to computers. Yes. But if you do this, then your, your data will be secured and encrypted on your local computer and will be a lot harder to attack. Is that right? Right. It will be nearly impossible to attack if you selected a good passphrase. But you do this at the cost of convenience. Right. And the convenience you're giving up is the convenience of being able to, to restore from iCloud and being assured that your stuff's backed up. Right. So if you lose both, for example, if you had your phone and your laptop in a backpack and you didn't have backups anywhere else and your backpack got stolen, you'd be done. That would if be you go through, If you go through customs and both devices are seized... Yeah, you're you're done. Yeah, there would be no, there's no getting around it. Your your digital life must be restarted from new if you don't have another backup somewhere else. Uh, but Apple has said that they plan to engineer around that so that even through iCloud they won't be able to provide any information. Cool. So I don't know exactly how they're going to do that and still keep iCloud Restore working well, but I will be interested in the results. Uh, definitely, I, I use iCloud Restore quite frequently. I used it about 19 times when I got this phone trying to make it work properly, but it doesn't. So I've just given up. I, I, you know, you have my luck, but strangely I was able to do iCloud restore successfully. So it's, it's been working well for me and I'm, I'm hopeful that they continue to improve it. It worked fine on my first success, but on my replacement success, it's just a utter failure. Weird. Why did you replace your success? Uh, the screen shattered. Oh. By falling oh. one foot off of my coffee table onto the floor. Oh, frustrating. Indeed. So, 
Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com provides over 180,000 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers. Their app is free, and it works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. We don't care about Android and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your phone. And Audible.com has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You exchange the book for any other book anytime. No questions asked. I didn't Shane, know have you, ever, have you ever used Audible? Uh, no. I don't like audiobooks. Okay. I, I do like audiobooks. I have not used Audible, so I'm going to try to use Audible. I I didn't know about that exchange thing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Though I mean, yeah. the idea that you can you can get a book and listen to it and change it without any questions. Uh, how up to how long can you change it? Because that seems like it's ripe for exploitation. Uh, yeah, either duration or you've listened to the whole book and you'd like to exchange it now, please. Yeah, I, like I know people who do that with REI stuff. They'll buy a tent at REI and use it for five seasons until it gets a tear. And then take it back and get a new one. I have my five-year-old tent, and I'd like to change it, please. Yeah, and RI will do it. No questions asked. It's pretty cool. And then they what? They put that on their REI yard sale? No, they just recycle them. I they do. assume, yeah. Okay. I, I there's a um, I like the outdoors. Yeah, and there's yeah. Uh, a lot of <laughs> there have been many stories. That was on, a confession. There have been many stories on the outdoorsy blogs and forums that i visit uh, about people who have taken back like 15 year old products to rei and they've gotten uh, if they don't have the same product they've gotten store credit for it wow well just for our listeners audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership and if you go to audible.com slash insider you can start a free trial today and when you do that you're showing your support for the apple insider podcast Go ahead and get your free 30-day trial at audible.com slash insider. We've talked a little bit about politics and Congress in this this podcast so far. Uh, obviously, we're in the middle of an election cycle here in the U.S. Are you? It, strangely, yes. We're, hmm. we're, there's tons of campaigning going on. It's, it's really quite disconcerting. Um, what's, is this, this whole encryption thing, I know it's important to you and I, but is it uh, something that matters at all to, to regular folks, regular voters? So that is an excellent question. And I think the answer is probably no. So there's a poll, there's a poll recently uh, from the Wall Street Journal and NBC News that said the country was basically equally split on whether or not Apple should comply. Apple should comply. But what the question the questions they didn't ask were how much do you care about this? And if it were your phone and the government had warrants, would you want Apple or whomever to be able to turn over data against you? Right. Which, it's, it's a very easy question to ask when it's some guy shot up people at his, at his workplace. Exactly. It's a harder question when I ask, so, uh, so Shane, uh, how ready are you to give over your phone information? Right. So I don't know. I don't exactly know the significance of this particular survey in the larger landscape of do people care? Uh, I'll be honest with you. In my experience, people don't give a damn. People just, even people who should know better, don't know better. Look around at, if you, I 
will bet you money that if you polled every Fortune 500 company, all of which have huge financial incentives to make sure that their data stays secure, less than half will have a CISO, which is the chief information security officer. Less than half, I guarantee it. Right. So they roll that responsibility into their CTO or something else? Yeah, but a CTO at this point is not... He's a CEO who understands Microsoft licensing terms, right? That's what he, <laughs> That's what a Fortune 500 CTO is. Nice. You know? Nice. Okay. If it's, if it's a guy who has actually at any point in his life been uh, hacking on code... Yeah. Then it was 50 years ago. He's so far removed from it, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, he was like programming cards for ENIAC. Okay, there's a mixed up one if I ever. (laughs) Yeah, I realized as I was saying that that I was mixing two. I don't think ENIAC read cards, I don't think. I mean, I've seen punch cards, but that's 20 years apart. I was was hoping you would just gloss over that and nobody would call (laughs) me out of it. So so it is kind of a wedge issue, but it's not one that really seems to matter. Yeah. but but it seems to matter if people cared I'll tell you what if people cared nobody would use Dropbox Dropbox just announced that they have half a billion users yeah half a billion people who do not give a damn about information security because we already know that Dropbox can and will access your data they're going to roll over in a minute yes yeah but you use Dropbox I do but anything important in Dropbox how do you explain that anything that's important in my Dropbox is encrypted before it goes there Okay, so how do you do that? How are you encrypting it? Uh, I personally use uh, sparse images, um, which is, so everybody who uses a Mac knows the DMG format. Um, DMG stands for disk image, right? Uh, Yeah, mostly. And a sparse image is a disk image shell, uh, essentially, that can grow and shrink, right? So I could start out with a five kilobyte sparse image and then end up with a five gigabyte sparse image. and you can encrypt images. So that's how I do it. Um, I have, okay. I have so, a sparse image for my uh, financial stuff and another sparse image for other things. And then anything that writes directly to Dropbox, uh, I won't allow it unless it's encrypted. Like one password obviously is encrypted. Okay. And, and so you create these sparse images by going to disk utility, file, new image, blank image, and yep. under image format, it's sparse disk image is the one you select, or do you select sparse bundle disk image? Uh, sparse bundle, sorry. Sparse bundle disk image. And what's the difference between those two? Do you know? I actually don't know. Okay, but you know that sparse bundle works, and that's the one you use. Indeed. And you so you copy all of your stuff to that, and then what? You select encryption, and you select a 256-bit AES key? Correct. Okay, and then you create your passphrase for it, and uh, and and how does this work? That, that then you upload the sparse bundle to Dropbox, and then what happens? Uh, it, it happens just like a normal sync. So Dropbox can do block-level sync on Mac disk images. Uh, block-level sync, it's, I'm not going to explain what it means in this conversation. No, never mind that. But what I'm just trying to understand is the process, right? You, you, you mount these disk images and use them as if they were just additional drives to your computer. And, uh, yes, yes. and then you unmount them and the disk images sync with Dropbox. Yes. Uh, and because Dropbox can do this, is what I was getting at because Dropbox can do block level sync, you don't resync the whole image every time. It still does deltas. 
even though it's a, a disk image, it's doing deltas on it? Yes. Okay. So, and, uh, interestingly, AgileBits, the company that makes... I don't use this. Um, I tried it for a while, and I decided I didn't need it because I you know, know how to use a computer. But AgileBits, oh, the, the company that makes Dropbox, <laughs> also yeah. makes an app called Knox. No, no, wait. No, wait, wait. Oh, AgileBits is uh, not the company that makes Dropbox. AgileBits is the company that makes one password. Yes. Yeah, uh, the company that makes one password also makes an app called Knox, which is specifically designed to let you do this with disk images and manage them from a menu bar app. And and so it's doing the exact same thing that you're doing, except giving you an interface for it. Precisely. Okay. Intriguing. Yeah, I tried it for a little while. It, it, it's really well done and it works really well. I just decided I didn't need it. Right. So so how big is your Dropbox? Uh, in total space or in space yeah, used? Yeah, right. I mean, how much? Well, in in both. But the idea is, if if our listeners are thinking about doing this, if I'm thinking about doing this, uh, how much do I have to prepare to pay off Dropbox? Uh, uh, I pay Dropbox for other reasons, for uh, their Packrat service, so the file incremental file changes, because I use it to share with clients. But my total Dropbox is only uh, 9.8 gigs right now. So you could easily do this. Like if, really? all your, if all you're storing are like PDFs of bills and stuff like that, you can easily do it in, in uh, the free tier. Very interesting, because I've got 15 gig that it's maxed out, and I need to figure out what I'm going to reduce and, and go for this plan. Yeah. I mean, I, this, I like I said, I pay for PackRap because it's been useful for me in the past, but you could easily do it in the free tier. Neat. Very cool. Thank you for going through that with me, because it's. I know you've mentioned Dropbox before, and I just wanted to make sure I understood how you did this. Yeah. There are other Dropbox alternatives, by the way, that are encrypted. Um, but they, by and large, don't work as well as Dropbox does. There, there are trade-offs here. Yeah, which is why I choose to have the slight little faff of having encrypted disk images for some things and using Dropbox. Like I said, at some other time we did this podcast, I also keep my uh, SSH private keys in Dropbox. So, Yeah, I think you did mention that. Yeah. So I'm going to do an ad read here. Um, technology has changed the way we run, right? It's changed the way we do everything. And, and smartphones allow even casual runners to map their runs, create running playlists, and track their progress. So this is about fitness and about running. And, and taking advantage of these technologies has always meant stopping to look at your phone, which means you're stopping running and you're not, you lose momentum. It's, it's kind of silly, right? Because your whole goal is to get out there and run. Mara is a hands-free running assistant that uses voice recognition and the microphone in your earbuds to help optimize your runs. So Mara is hands-free and you just talk to her using your earbuds while you're running, which means the microphone's on, which is one of the things we were talking about a little while ago. She uses voice commands, and you tell her what kind of run you'd like to do. You ask her questions about your speed, your pace, your location, how long you've been running, or even the weather. And she plays albums and playlists from your music library. She can speak first. She can tell you how you're doing and compare yourself to your past runs and records, and she'll warn you about changes in weather. So if it's about to rain, which comes in very handy, she'll tell you, hey, it's going to rain, you know, so you can get out of, out of your run and go somewhere dry. You can track your progress. You can see all your runs, your hot spots, your rough legs. Mara recognizes what you've accomplished. So visit mara.ai, that's M-A-R-A dot A-I, today to download your free virtual running assistant. Do you run? 
I do not. I'm just curious what a hotspot is. I, that's a good question. I, I would think it'd be like a place that you run frequently or a, a place where you're really running hard, but I don't know. We're going to have to find out. If, if any runners listen to this podcast, please inform us so that, that I can no longer be ignorant about running. <laughs> We're both ignorant about running. So, I mean, I, I, I have been wearing wearable things. I've got Fitbits and Jawbones and all this kind of stuff. And I have been improving my step count, but I have not been running yet. I, I figure the natural progression is if I stick with walking long enough that I may actually pick up the pace and begin running, but I'm not there. So I started doing uh, C25K, which is couch to 5K. Okay. And uh, I actually really liked it. And I started doing it when it was warmish. And then we had a super cold snap that lasted for like two months, which is really unusual for, for Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and I went out running like the first night of the cold snap and my teeth started hurting. Ooh. I, I have really sensitive teeth for some reason. And um, anyway, yeah, it turns out that running in cold air, if you have sensitive teeth to begin with, can make your teeth start hurting. Like my whole jaw was aching wow. by the time I was done. So I abandoned that until winter was over. So how are you doing with couch to 5k now? Uh, winter just ended like three days ago. So the answer is getting started again. Yeah, exactly. I'm back to the okay. couch level. <laughs> You're gonna have to tell me how that works for you. Cause I am interested. Yeah. I mean, I, I walk a lot. I mean, obviously because I live well, here, I walk a lot, but uh, part of that's just you're you're living in a major metropolitan city. Yeah. We talked about this in wedge issue. We talked about this and, and the congressional stuff going on. What happened most recently is that there were a number of, of tech CEOs who got together with people who are politicians. And I think it was off of Georgia or South Carolina, one of those, and met to try and figure out how to ensure that a Trump victory does not happen in the next presidential election. Yes. Do I have any of that right? Uh, did I did I get right. most of that? So Tell, first of all, what's, what's it's, going an, on here? it's an event that happens every year. Okay. Right? It's not like some super secret Illuminati convention. This was this was not the Bilderbergs getting together to decide our fate. Yeah, no, this happens all the time. This kind of thing okay. happens all the time. Right. It just happened to have been reported that the main topic of conversation, as you would expect it to be amongst a group of people like this, was what can we do to ensure wait, that wait, wait, Donald wait. Trump is not the president? People like what? People like Tim Cook. Go on. What's that mean? Rich, rich people, basically. Right. Rich people who live out in California and may have socially Essentially, anyone liberal who, views. Anyone who has a stake... <laughs> in Donald Trump not being the president. And they don't it's have pretty to, wide they swath don't of even people. Have to, that's what I'm saying. They don't even have to necessarily be liberals. Don't, don't have to be liberal, just don't want Donald Trump. Exactly. Okay. So who was there? Uh, Tim Cook was there. Good. I believe Mark Zuckerberg was there. Probably. There were a few congressmen and some senators there. Uh, and Larry Page, Elon Musk, and, and uh, Mitch McConnell. Yes. Paul Ryan. Yes. Uh, Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House. So far, still Republicans. Uh, Karl Rove. Yep. Chief of Staff under, or Deputy Chief of Staff under George W. Bush. I love that whatever article I read about that called him policy analyst. I don't know what universe of living in where Karl Rove is a policy analyst. But, all right. I'll allow it. Well, uh, what do you think the proper title is? 
political hatchet man. Okay. The actual title is political strategist, but in reality, it should be political hatchet man. Okay. As long as we're not using the nickname that Bush gave him. Which one? Because I'll tell you after the show. I don't want to bring that one up again. I'll just have to censor it. Um, but there were there were also some Democrats in attendance. At least uh, Maryland Representative John Delaney was there, and Bill Crystal was there. And the the this is the American Enterprise Institute's annual World Forum. Indeed. So, what's interesting about this? What's interesting about this rather is that all these people meant to to discuss how to not have Trump be the. Uh, be the next president. I mean, look, so all of these people have a vested interest in this not happening for, for different, for different reasons. Right. Mm. And sometimes wildly different reasons. But at the end of the day, when you have these kinds of people get together to talk about the issues of the day, the issue of the day right now is Donald Trump is about to be the Republican nominee for president of the United States. I mean, there's, there is nothing else. If he had, if he was just doing okay, I doubt very much he would have been the main topic of conversation. Right. If he but, was, if he was third, third runner up, it wouldn't matter. Even if he was second, I think it wouldn't matter. But given that he has now a sizable lead, this is something that has to be taken seriously. So my favorite that thing about so this, my favorite thing about this is we got an email to our our news desk that basically it ranted about Tim Cook for a while. And then it said, the final straw is to think he thinks he and his geek rich guy friends knows better who should be president than the American public. And I read this email and I read that line. Yes. And I thought I replied to everyone in the, in the inbox. I'm sure you saw this. I said, Uh, I'm not in the inbox. Okay. Well, if you had been, you have seen this. I said, the thing I find funniest about these comments is the implication that Tim Cook and his friends are not also members of the American public. Because, of course, they are. Yeah, I've seen a lot of this. It's like, well, how do these... It's not the only guy. I'm just using this guy because this was a hilarious email that we received. But many people are saying, who do they think they are if they're going to try and deny the people the candidate they want? They are the people, too. Um, Voters with American citizenship and a First Amendment right, the same as the rest of you lot? Yeah. Tim Cook is from Alabama. He is more the people than a lot of other people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's just as much the people as anyone else. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So another thing that happened at this this uh, this this gathering was that Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas, who serves on the Senate Committee on Armed Services and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, went after Cook on the encryption issue. I'm sure. And apparently made everyone very uncomfortable by it. He probably got his talking points from Trey Gowdy. Well, there you go. Yeah. But the uh, the quote we have from a source says, Cotton was pretty harsh on Cook, and everyone was very uncomfortable about how hostile Cotton was. I think it's because they're all in there going, I'm trying to decide which one of these two men is more powerful. <laughs> 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 Behind whom should I be standing right now? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I, mean, I mean, so a lot of people don't understand how ungodly powerful a U.S. senator is, especially as you gain seniority. But at, the same, but at the same time, you have the mostly beloved CEO of the world's largest and most profitable, most profitable. corporation. Right. You know, so I don't blame them. I would be in the same room doing the same thing. 
Well, who, who do I trust more, right? The guy who makes the product that I love or, or Congress, which has a, a fantastic approval rating of not much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I will definitely pick that I like my iPhone better every day of the week. Yeah. As opposed to some mishmash of, of legislation that's mostly disappointing. Florida just passed a, uh, they just, what did they do? They approved the, uh, their entry to have a constitution, to call a constitutional convention to add term limits to the the U.S. Constitution. And every time I see one of these term limit bills come up, I'm of a split mind, right? Because I can, right. Under, I can understand why people want term limits, Right. I get that as long as you have a huge amount of money in politics, hmm. that term limits are a good thing. And, at least in principle, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we have elections. Yeah. Elections are term limits, exactly. practically. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You want someone out, you, you vote them out. Yeah. For, for everyone listening to this, because none of you know this, I used to be in politics. I was a professional political person for a long time and i've always had this opinion that elections are term limits right i don't we don't florida has term limits and i have seen uh numerous times because we're talking about florida numerous times good people were forced to leave office because of term limits to be replaced by really bad people that's what you end up with if well we it's could, a double-edged sword right you, just you get, end up with ending dynasties but at the same time you run the risk of bringing in people who are totally unqualified and and also evil. Yeah. If we could just get people to care about elections and not just vote for the guy they've heard of, then this would be totally fine. Nobody needs trolls. Anyway, we've, we've gotten sidetracked, but not by much. This is the legislative edition of the Apple insider podcast, <laughs> or as I wanted to call it the die. Oh, I, I called it at the beginning at the top. The Diane finds the inversion. There you go. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Mara, a hands-free virtual running assistant that uses cutting-edge voice recognition to help coach you to better runs. Play music, get updates on your location, pace, and weather, and compare your current speed with past runs without ever stopping to look at your phone. Using your earbuds, Mara can hear your commands and put them into action. To download your new running partner for free, visit mara.ai today. Run with a sidekick and make every mile count. (laughs) 